Hey, Johnny. Tell that piano player to shut up. We're trying to do a recording here. Piano player. Johnny, tell him to shut up. Jeez, thank you. <laughs> Howdy, y'all. Welcome back to Tales from the Bent Tree Saloon. It's been a while since we did a recording for y'all. Um, I guess it's been end of May, first part of June. When we had last left, we finished season one. Um, it was all the tales from the lake. Uh, so this is the start of season two. It's episode number one in season two. The title of this episode is called Transitions. So I got to start with a little bit of kind of a backstory here just to get everybody kind of caught up. So when we left uh, last, I had flown to Colorado Springs. Um, my parents had made the decision. My dad had moved from the lake in Minnesota to Colorado Springs, kind of to start over again. Uh, I was a junior in high school and it was winter break my junior year. And I got on the big bird and I, if y'all remember the last episode of the ride, that last trip with my buddies to the airport. So where we're gonna do what we're gonna do now is we're gonna pick up kind of where that where we left off. It's a brand new life basically for me and my dad and and uh, eventually my mom and my sisters and um, it's it was tough. Timing wasn't great. Leaving you know halfway through your junior year of high school kind of sucked. Um, moving from a little town real rural little town in east central Minnesota where we lived on a lake to uh, at least initially my dad had an apartment um, in Colorado Springs. Colorado Springs back then wasn't a huge city probably had a population of 200,000 250,000 somewhere in there but it was a far cry from the 1800 people that lived in Chisago City Minnesota so um, so the trend that's the name for the episode transitions. So we'll kind of we'll talk through some segments here on what that was like. So it started in uh, winter break in 1980. I had landed in Colorado Springs and um, brought with me what I thought I needed uh, and took up in my dad's apartment. So the first order of business was, um, you know, I, I told you all, in previous episodes what a big part of my life playing hockey was and so um, we arrived uh, we got settled in the apartment and I had to pick a school to go to um, my dad had arranged for us to talk with a couple of the premier hockey high schools in Colorado Springs um, actually three of them and uh, we got some free tickets one night to go see a high school hockey game. Now, remember, I came from Minnesota, and I played hockey at high school hockey there as king, and it's played at a really high level. And, and, and I don't want to bash anybody, but what I saw for a high school hockey game in Colorado didn't really excite me all that much. It turns out it was pretty good. I just never really got to see any tape of what we probably looked like playing. I'm sure we weren't much different, but – at the end of the day, I had to pick a school. The best high school hockey team in Colorado Springs was 
at Cheyenne Mountain High School at the time, probably still is. <clears throat> Cheyenne Mountain High School um, is in a fairly affluent, well, probably the most affluent part of Colorado Springs. Um, <clears throat> a lot of trust fund babies and whatnot. I'm not, and I don't want to cast a shadow over the whole pop, but it, it was a pretty high-end school. And uh, they really didn't want me. I don't really know why. Um, so that was strike one. Our next choice would have been Air Academy High School. Only thing is we weren't military and they were full and they couldn't take any new kids. So I ended up talking to this really, really great character named Rich, who um, he was the head coach at Coronado High School. And we went and watched him play and uh, and he was real nice told me a lot of stuff the others didn't bother to tell me about eligibility requirements and how it was going to be, um, how long it was going to take to get uh, eligible to play. And it turns out that um, Coronado was my choice by default. And at the end of the day, it was the best choice I could have ever made. I've met some of the most influential friends of my entire lifetime by going to that school. Um, the hockey was fantastic. Uh, and so here's the deal with the hockey. It was winter break. So the team couldn't practice during winter break. Um, well, the team didn't practice during winter break. I needed to have 11 practices under my belt before I could skate in a game. So the first seven or eight or nine, I guess nine of those practices, our coach Rich had a really small little homemade ice rink in his backyard. I mean, it was it was so small, but it was a patch of ice and he was the coach and I would go there for two days um, and maybe we snuck in three days. I'm pretty sure we probably did that <laughs> um, in order to get, to get those practices in so I could practice with the team. And by golly, if it didn't work out such that when the team finally got back on the ice together, I was already done with my um, mandatory practices, and uh, and we hooked up. And uh, <clears throat> and that first year there, the season was basically over. There were two regular season games left after the break, and we weren't going to make the playoffs that year. So um, <clears throat> coach asked me if I would – now, I wasn't a very big guy. I still, I'm, I'm still not a real tall guy. I'm big, but I'm not tall. Um, but back then, I was teeny, <clears throat> and uh, I, I was a I was a forward. I played on the wing, and coach asked me for the last few games we'd had an injury to one of our defensemen, and would I be comfortable playing defense? Well, hell, I'd do anything to get in a uniform and play, so I did, and it went okay. And I had it already met some new teammates who um, some of them ultimately being friends for life and obviously, and, and it was a good deal. So my first real test and task was to get eligible to play hockey. Um, and dad and coach made sure that I had everything I needed to do that. And I remember vividly remember that very first game suiting up in that Coronado Cougars uniform and playing defense and, uh, 
and that was a hell of a time. It was, a, it was just a hell of a time. It was a great way to kind of get, to ease the pain of the transition. Um, hockey was perfect. So hockey also meant that I had to go to a new high school and uh, new places, new faces, right? Uh, I went from a school where there were several communities in the county that went to one high school with a graduating class total of under 100 to a school where the graduating class when I was a senior was over 1,200. And so it was a definite eye-opener for me and, and in a lot of ways. So the Coronado transition went like this. I came from a Little Hick school in Minnesota called Chisago Lakes High School. And I ended up at Coronado High School in Colorado Springs at the top of the hill. And, uh, and God dang, that was a big place. And a lot, of, a lot of people, a lot of kids. And it was like almost overwhelming. Now, I understand that culturally um, we've had this discussion in the past. And this is probably, you know, a fair time to, to, to talk about this. We weren't very culturally diverse in Chisago. We were mostly white people in a small community in north central or east central Minnesota. So um, moving to Colorado Springs meant that I was going to be front and center with a bunch of people with um, with looks that I had never really seen before, never really interacted with Hispanics or, or um, people of other color. And so that first <laughs> that first week of school was pretty rough. I remember getting in a confrontation with some of the some of the Hispanic kids, um, and I think they just wanted to let me know who was kind of in charge there, which is fine. I got the message and duly noted. Um, uh, it was just different, and it was tough. Um, the school itself was not really much different in terms of taking classes and whatnot other than just the sheer size of things um i do remember that we had a character for so, several characters in the athletic department that served not only as coaches on on the on the teams and whatnot but as uh uh gym teachers in gym class and the expectations and whatnot of of what all went into that so um just a major league shift in my life, which um, was made somewhat more comfortable for me uh, because my dad had really looked out for me, at, especially in those early those early days. Um, one of the one of the goals, I guess, would be that to, in order to fit in, I, I wanted a job and. Back then, there were some opportunities, and my dad had um, found out about this. Um, it's not a dude ranch. It, it was uh, it was a place called the Flying W Ranch, and back in the day, I mean, it was one of the premier tourist attractions in all of the West. I mean, it was it was big. It was uh, basically a chuck wagon dinner with a Western show. Uh, a restored Western village complete with movie theater and shops and ice cream floats and trains that went under tunnels and all kinds of stuff like that. And uh, it was basically a place for teachers and high school kids to work in the summertime. And so when tourist season ramped up and school got out, of course, everybody 
um, everybody went to the Flying W to try to get a job. Well, that was the summer crew, but my it was like early late March or early April, and my dad came home one night and said, "Hey, I'm gonna we need to go up to the Flying W Ranch, and you're gonna interview for a job up there." And it was the not the seasonal crew, but the year-round crew, and they were building the chapel at the time, so there was hard work to do there. Uh, and so I went up and and interviewed, and they said, you know, you're hired, and can you start? And they told me that I had to, <laughs> I actually had to go buy a pair of cowboy boots and a jean jacket and a cowboy hat. And uh, so I'll talk about transitions. <laughs> Here's this skinny little white kid from Minnesota that's a hockey player and kind of a kind of a punk and a hard rock kind of 70s rock and roll aficionado and and I get thrust into this ranch scene and I had to make that transition as well and so um, the way that worked I went to the western store and I got my hat and I got my boots and uh, and I went to work and immediately kind of fell in love with the place and the people and uh, where I met some of my best friends ever uh, <laughs> and what a crowd that was <laughs> talk about a rowdy bunch I mean bunch of 17 18 year old kids making pretty good money working hard and then uh, burning burning off the steam so my two buds from, well, two of my buds from Coronado, Brett and Brian, I met at the, at the ranch. And it didn't take us long to click and to be, become really good friends. And, you know, they, we all liked a couple things, right? So we all liked, aside from working our job, we sure liked drinking beer and we sure liked girls. And so we spent a lot of time doing both after work. And, it, and uh, <laughs> there was a... Now, I was underage to drink, but it didn't seem to matter in the 80s. And they, and they sold back then, they sold this, like, reduced alcohol beer, this 3.2%. My dad used to call it pea beer, but, I mean, if you drank seven or 800 of them, you could probably put on a good sport buzz, but it really wasn't like drinking big people beer. So, um, but we drank a ton of it, and there was a local establishment, a pizza place, um, not far from the house where... Uh, the manager of the store, I think probably would have been in his thirties or at the time, but he didn't have any problem running across the parking lot to the liquor store next door and buying us a bottle if we wanted one for later. And he served us all the cold beer we could drink in his pizza place, tap 3.2% tap beer. And they had video games and we hung out in there and good Lord, did we spend money and time and drink a lot of beer in there. <laughs> um, I'd tell you all the name of the place, but I don't want to, it's gone now, but I don't want to get anybody in trouble, but, um, it was a chain. Um, it was a chain. It was one of the chains. Uh, great times though. So that gets us into about April time frame where I got my new job at the ranch. Uh, I had met some really cool cats to hang out with and, and drink beer, chase girls around. Um, kind of started to fit in better at school. Um, you know, really fit in a lot better at school. Uh, we had 
finished hockey season. I, I never played high school baseball in, in Minnesota because we always had a summer program that was better than high school baseball. So we did that instead. But um, I tried out for the baseball team and I made it. And uh, so I got to meet a whole bunch of new characters there. Uh, but April was the month where my mom and my sisters were gonna um, were gonna make their transition. So they'd sold the house in Minnesota and got everything all packed up and rented the van. It was a U-Haul. I remember my grandpa John, my dad's dad, coming and helping supervise loading the uh, loading the van so that. Uh, uh, we could get everything in on one pass. And I remember we leaving a lot of stuff behind. Uh, but here's the kicker. My mom had had, my mom had had some surgery. She couldn't drive at all. She was basically bedridden for the trip. So I'm going to call this segment the hall. And, uh, <laughs> so we had a station wagon and a U-Haul. And we had dad, myself, my two little sisters who weren't old enough to drive, and my mom who couldn't drive, and we had two vehicles. And we had to drive from east central Minnesota to Colorado Springs. It was about 850-mile trip, maybe somewhere in there, maybe 900 miles, probably longer, the route we ended up having to take. But um, in the end, I had to drive one of the vehicles, and my dad had to drive one of the vehicles. And... Uh, and my mom had to be at rest in the back of the station wagon. And it was an adventure, I'll tell you, talk again about transitions. We just packed everything we owned up in this big U-Haul van. And, and it was April. And so snowy season wasn't over for anybody north of, you know, I-70. And uh, so we're headed down the Interstate 35. The original plan, I think, was to come across on Interstate 80 through Nebraska and then hit Colorado and hit Denver and then head on down to Colorado Springs. And that was going to take us a couple days, so we're going to split it into a two-day trip and stay overnight at a motel. And, and uh, uh, along the way, we, we were following the weather and – we stopped for gas and dad said, we can't, we're not going that way. We got to go a different way. And I'm like, well, what the hell? And he said, There's a blizzard in Nebraska and Northern Colorado and we ain't going to be able to make it. So, um, so we got to go all the way South to St. Louis and come across on highway I 70 and eventually highway 50 because we got on I 70 coming through and that was messed up of this blizzard so we ended up going all the way down to us highway 50 which comes in through way southern colorado through pueblo and i remember driving um into eastern colorado and you could see that it had snowed but it was melting at an alarming rate now you know you're from minnesota you see snow you live snow for six months a year it ain't i mean it it doesn't ever go away really you know but this snow was different it had snowed like 14 15 inches but it was melting so fast that it was making like rivers run and i'd that seemed like springtime in minnesota to me but it was it wasn't it's was still winter and i remember we were in some sleepy little town out east probably 
I don't know where we were. We were on Highway 50 somewhere. Um, and my dad said, you know, you feel that wind blowing from down off the mountains. And I said, yeah, it's warm and it's bright sunshine. He said, that's called the Chinook wind. And that'll melt the snow faster than you can shake a stick. And I'll be damned if all that snow that had fallen like the day before didn't melt before we got home that night. So that was awesome. First time I'd ever seen that. Um, and at the end of the day, Dad had bought a, a house not too far from the school. That I was so when we when the family finally got there, I was at the high school. My middle sister Dee Dee was at the middle school, and my little sister Darcy was at the elementary school. So. Um, three kids in three different schools. So we, dad bought a house that was easy kind of walking distance for me and the middle sister. And then the little one obviously either got a bus ride or mom took her to school or something. I can't remember how the hell she made it, but, but she did. And so here we are. Um, we pull in the driveway to the house. It's on a street called Panorama. And boy, did it have the panoramic view of Pikes Peak. It was just awesome. You look out the front window of the house and you just see this Purple Mountains Majesty, you know, Pikes Peak, the name, the, the mountain that the song was written about. And uh, just absolutely stunning view out the window. Um, had a big park in the backyard, um, so there was no neighbors in the back. Um, you could go run around, scream, holler, and do whatever you want to do back there. Uh, I remember um, trying to get settled in there. We had brought... We had an old beagle named Sam that we brought with us. Now, I remember telling y'all probably in episode one about getting this dog when I was eight years old, and that was Sam the beagle. Well, here I am at 17 years old, and I still got that dog. Um, that dog lived a long-ass time, by the way. I'm going to tell you that that dog <laughs> through all kinds of just stupid shit, but um, the dog didn't like the transition much. And we also had this cat named Dimples. And it was my sister, Dee's, Dee Dee's cat. And um, the cat made the trip. And the cat had been through a lot. The cat, when we lived in Minnesota, had went out like on Christmas Eve and went hunting in the snow and got stuck in a muskrat trap and got its tail caught and ended up stripping all the fur off its tail and dragging its bloody self home on a, to our front gate, our front door about a week later on New, on New Year's. I said, so yeah, so she went away on Christmas and came back on New Year's. She's gone for like a week. That poor cat lived through all kinds of stuff. Anyway, it didn't have a, so the tail got bobbed off and it was an old cat. And uh, <laughs> the cat wanted to run around. So somebody decided it was a good idea to put the cat on some kind of a leash on a collar. And it jumped over the railing in the back patio and hung itself. It was tragic. Kind of silly, but it's like that poor cat. It just everything was stacked against it, and that was bad. But everybody else seemed to manage, and uh, it was there that you know you settle into your new, finally your new life, which is the whole family's there. We're all in school and working, and everybody's doing well. And we joined a new church, um, and. Got to meet just tons and tons of people uh, through that, and I, so probably the most, probably the most, in, in, I don't want what's the right word. The coolest thing that happened to me uh, when I 
when we got to the house on Panorama is there was a there was an old couple that lived next door. Their names were Houston and Mary Mary Lou. They were both they were both from South Texas, um, down around Beaumont, and uh, they had this cute little Southern Texas accent, <laughs> and they were old. I mean, they were in their 80s, and they were such great people. And I remember, I guess my dad had talked to Houston and told him about the trip. And I remember Houston coming over to our house and shaking my hand and saying, I, I can't believe that you drove your family from Minnesota to Colorado Springs and how old are you? And I said, I'm 17. I think I was probably actually really only 16 at the time. I guess I was 16. I hadn't turned 17. I didn't turn 17 until after I graduated from high school. So I was 16 at the time. And uh, and what an impression that made on me that he cared enough to actually, you know, say something like that. They were really good. Um, every chance I got after I left to go to college until they, until they moved on and passed away, um, I'd spend time with them. They were such great people. He had such great stories, but he didn't care about his stories. All he cared about was was mine, and uh, and how how is I doing, and how is the family doing, and how you how y'all getting along with this, that, and the other, and his baseball team any good? And I mean, he was just a character, man. He was just such a character. And I hope that someday when I'm old like that, which ain't that far down the road. <laughs> It's sooner than I think, but but anyway, I really hope that someday, um, when if I'm ever in a position to influence somebody like that, that I can have as big an impact positively on a person as he did. I miss that guy. I really do. So we're getting on about the end of the episode here, and it was all about transitions. We talked about arriving in Colorado Springs and and having to live in an apartment, and then having to pick a school to go to, which a lot of people don't get the choice, right? At least I had a choice. Turned out I really didn't, but at least I thought I did. Um, and then transitioning into a new school and into a new job and into new friends and into all of that stuff. And, uh, and the Flying W Ranch and the characters that I met there and the friends that I had. Um, in my next episode, I'm going to talk to you all a little bit about um, – my best friend of all time, second, would be Shad that we talked about in the first episode. But, um, but I'm going to introduce you to uh, to my buddy Doc and his brother Tuna, <laughs> and uh, where we go from there. <laughs> Just I can't wait to bring them guys into the show. It's going to be fun. So, hey, I hope y'all had a good time. Um, I had a good time talking to y'all. I'll get this put up on uh, on, uh, on Facebook here directly. And until next time, happy tales from the Bent Tree Saloon. <laughs>